Genesis chapter 18. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 18.1 says, And the Lord appeared unto him, him being Abraham, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes, or he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. So notice it says in verse 1, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, and there were three men in this company. And then skip down to verse 16, if you would, and we'll read a few more verses. And the men rose up from thence, these three, and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So the Lord says, I can't keep this. From my servant Abraham. And in verse 20 it says, And the Lord said, He's going to explain what He's about to do. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And in case we didn't understand how many men went, who were these men, just look in chapter 1 of verse 19 where it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. So after the Lord tells Abraham, what he's about to do, the two angels, appearing as men, those two angels, made their way to Sodom and had their conversation with Lot. But one of those stood yet before the Lord, with Abraham, verse 22, and, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So we're going to look at this passage tonight as it relates to our own lives and as it relates to Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and Abraham. And shall we pray? Father, we thank you tonight again for your wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your ways. That your ways are above our ways. And your thoughts are above our understanding. We pray tonight that, Lord, you would help us as we study this passage of Scripture together. Lord, to give our attention to the Word of God. To receive with meekness the engrafted Word. We have no intention, no desire to come to the Word of God 
and to ignore what you say. We want to hear what you say. We want to apply. We want to grow in grace. So I pray that you'd help us tonight to that end, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. So I want to speak on this this subject uh, this evening from the life of Abraham, interceding for Sodom. Because this is an aspect of this story that really we need to look at. We need to look at it as it applies to Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, his family, and Abraham. But I also need to look at it as it applies to us. So we're going to begin tonight by thinking about the relationship of the intercessor. Because that's what Abraham was. He became an intercessor. We'll read those verses in a moment. But I want to emphasize this as a foundation. Uh, To understand the relationship that this intercessor had, we have to understand that he had a relationship not only with the people of Sodom due to Lot's dwelling there, being a citizen of that wicked city, but most importantly, Abraham had a relationship with God. He was a man of great faith. Matter of fact, he's known as that, as a man of faith. And his faith could be seen in him living, leaving the Ur of the Chaldees and coming to Canaan and being the tool that God uses, used to really establish the nation of Israel. Just after this, his faith could be seen in taking his only son Isaac to Mount Moriah where he would be willing to give up his only son in obedience to God, believing that if he sacrificed his son on the altar of God, that God would raise him from the dead. That's a man of great faith. Abraham was a man of faith. He had a relationship with God. He's called in the Bible a friend of God. Imagine that, being called a friend of God. He he had this fellowship with God. So much so that as we read there a moment ago in verse 17, that the Lord said, I can't hide this from Abraham. I can't not tell him what I'm about to. To do. Imagine that kind of relationship with God where God was compelled to let you in on his business. That's the relationship that Abraham had with the Lord. He says in, there in verse uh, 19, it says, God is speaking in verse 19, says, For I know him. I know Abraham. By the way, he knows you too. He knows me. He knows us. I know Abraham. He knew Abraham well. And what did he know about Abraham in verse 19? That he will, this, this is relevant for all of us, but it's especially relevant for us who are fathers. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. He knew Abraham well. And so he lets Abraham in verses 20 and 21 in on his plans. So back to verse 22, when these two angels leave on their mission to go to Sodom to see firsthand about the vile behavior of those citizens, it says there in verse 22, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now we're going to see that he was not just a man of faith, but he was a man of prayer. Um, And this is not the first time we're introduced to his prayer life. You know, at Bethel, when he came uh, to Bethel in Genesis 13, he called on the name of the Lord. He sought the Lord. He had a relationship with God. 
And another place, he built an altar unto the Lord in Mamre. So look in verse 22, we'll read again. The men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham, notice the next two words, drew near and said, said to God, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? These two angels are going to Sodom. They're going to see firsthand that it's just as vile. We've we've read about this. No need to go through all that again. But Lot took them into his house, and these wicked, vile perverts are beating on the door. Said, bring those men out to us. So that's, that's where those men are gone. But one of the men, the Lord himself, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, stood there and Abraham, verse 23, drew near and asked this question. Would, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And we'll get into more of his, uh, more details about his intercession in just a moment. But he knew why, he knew the purpose. He knew they were going there to inspect and they would ultimately, I believe, destroy. And so Abraham drew near and began to talk to God. Think about this. Knowing that God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Sometimes in our life, we would probably just say, let them have it. (laughs) Right? They deserve it. Let them have it with both barrels. But Abraham drew near to the Lord and said, began to talk to God as though he were his friend. And using the character of God as a part of his leverage with God. Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And, and I just want to, I want to just hit the pause button for a moment and just say what a, what a privilege it is for a man, for any man or any woman to draw near to God. I can well remember the time in my life when I would never have thought about drawing near to God. Number one, if I'd have thought it through, I'd know I couldn't come near to God. But number two, I didn't really want to be near to God. I wanted my own will. I wanted my own plans. I didn't really want God in my life. But to think that we could draw near to God, and may I say to you tonight, none of us, not one of us, starting with me and all the way out into the foyer, not one of us deserve to be allowed in the presence of God. Then what, what allows us to come? Only one thing makes it possible for us to draw near to God, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said this, Ye who sometimes were far off were made nigh, by the blood of Christ, not being near. You, you, the blood of Christ allows us to be close. It's the atonement of Jesus that allows us to come to God. It's not our self-righteousness. It's not our religion. It's not our track record. It's not our service. It's one thing. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So we can draw near to God. Young person, you can draw near to God. 
No matter how old you are, if you're, if you're saved, you can draw near to God and have a relationship with God because, not because of who your parents are, not because of what church you go to, but because of the substitutionary death, the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can come near to God. The blood of Christ has been applied to our life. So when I come to God, He's not looking at me and my self-righteousness. He's looking at the position that I hold as His child, born again by the grace of God and made clean and pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad we can come near to God? And it is a privilege, but as in the case of Abraham, it's also a responsibility. It's a blessing to fellowship with God. And it's necessary, if we're going to be men and women of prayer, that we come close to God. And that's really what this lesson is about. That's what Abraham was for us. He was an example of an intercessor. A life of prayer is built upon our relationship with God. Right? Our, our access to God. We can come boldly, the writer of Hebrews says. We can come boldly, not like we're arrogant or prideful, but because we can have confidence. We can come confidently before God in prayer because the blood of Jesus Christ washes us and cleanses us. So Abraham had this relationship with God. And his intercessory life was based on his relationship with God. We're talking about the relationship of the intercessor. But second of all, he had a relationship with those he prayed for. He was concerned for Lot and his family. Lot was his nephew. He was related to him. His family lived in that wicked place. He was concerned for the city, but he was also concerned for his family. He was motivated to pray. He was motivated to intercede because of his concern for Lot and their family. And so uh, an intercessory's relationship, first of all, we have to have a relationship with God. But second of all, he had a relationship with those he prayed for. And may I just say to you tonight, the more we're concerned with a people the more we're apt to pray for them. One of, one of the um, secondary results, uh, the occupational hazards of not caring about people is we're not apt to pray for those people. We pray for our family because we love them. They're dear to us. We see them making unwise decisions. We don't, we don't just criticize them for it. We're not pleased with it. But we pray for them. We plead for them. We ask God to work in their lives. Same with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for one another. We, we don't pray from, from an aspect of being judgmental or critical. We pray from a, a, an angle of being concerned about them. It's not been difficult for my wife and I to pray often over the last couple of months for Brother Hastings, his wife, their children, their church. We know them. We've been in their church. I was just with him in a meeting not too long ago in a Baptist history meeting where we travel together. And I can, you know, we can hear names, but those names often don't register with us. They don't resonate with us. 
But the point is, when you're concerned, you're more apt to pray for people. The, the relationship, intercession is based upon relationships. Based on our relationship with God. That we have a relationship, we're close to God, we can draw near to God, we can seek God. The closer we are to God, the more apt we're going to be to talk to God. If I were to do this tonight, I wouldn't do this, but if I were to just take a microphone around tonight and ask everyone, when was the last time you had a, a genuine, sincere time of fellowship and prayer and communion with God? What would you say? If you was being honest, what would you say? And you know why some people never talk to God, basically? It's because they don't have a relationship with God. They don't have a real relationship. They know who God is. They know He's in heaven. They know He made the earth. They know He has a son. His son's name is Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth and He died. But they don't have a relationship with that God where He's their Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, Our Father which art in heaven. We have a relationship with God. It's built on our relationship with God. But it's also built upon our relationship with others. The more we care for people, the more we're apt to pray for them. So let's move from the relationship of the intercessor to a second point, And that is the role of the intercessor. What does the intercessor do? An intercessor is a go-between. A mediator. One who pleads on the behalf of another. After... When Moses had been up on the mountain receiving the commandments of God and Aaron and the people were down below and Moses was gone for 40 days. While they were gone, Aaron and the people came up with this plan to make gods. They created these calves, these golden calves. Everybody chipped in their jewelry. They made these calves and, and God... God said to Moses, uh, you know, Moses, this is not a serious thing. I mean, I'm not taking it serious. You don't take it serious. It's not a, is that what God said? This is what God said. God said, Would you, back off, Moses. I'm going to destroy the whole bunch. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to wipe out every one of them. And I'm going to start over with you. And we'll make us a whole new group of people. Now, that is a plan. That, that I would like to implement sometime. No. <laughs> and you know what Moses said? God, we can't let this happen. What will people say? What will the heathens say? That you brought us out, but you couldn't bring us in? And he began to intercede. The Bible says that because of his intercession, God stopped, the word is the evil, the bad, the harm, the judgment. He's gonna, God changed his mind. Listen. God changed his mind, his plan, because there was a man who stood between God and those people. That's intercession. I'm confident. I know this, I know this for a fact. I don't have to imagine this, but I, but I take great confidence in it. That, the, that those years, especially the years after I got out of uh, junior high and high school and uh, before I got saved... 
when I was living such a rebellious life, a stubborn, selfish, rebellious life, I know there were people that were standing in the gap. My mama, for one, she, she would prayed for me that God would work in my life. Aren't you glad for people who pray for you? That's the role of the intercessor. And here, Abraham is pleading with God for the preservation of Sodom. And notice what he says, and let's read quick, through it quickly. Verse 23, Genesis 18, 23. Hope your Bible is still open there. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou, speaking to God, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, Abraham says, perhaps, let's suppose, what if? Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Let's just imagine. Let's, think, let's just think this thing through, God. What if there's 50 righteous within the city? Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That'd be far from thee to do after this manner. This is him talking to God. That'd be far from thee to do after this manner. To slay the righteous with the wicked... And that the righteous should be as the wicked. You're going to treat the righteous just like the wicked. That be far from thee. Notice this question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now he is on. He's, he's really using some pretty strong language, is he not? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Amen. Good news. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord who am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? You're not going to destroy it if there's fifty righteous, but what if there's forty-five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And the Lord said, he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And the Lord said, he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. When I read that, I'm thinking, I wonder what Abraham was thinking when he said that. Is he going to say, enough's enough? But the Lord said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet, but this once. This is my final request. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went, on his, went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Six different times Abraham asked. Now, this was not just a casual, flippant, sort of, I'm, you know, I'm going to ask. But I'm, this was a man that is in earnest, pleading for people. 
And I'm guessing that every time the Lord said from 50 to 45 to 30 to 20, that every time Abraham must have thought, man, surely we're going to get to the place where God's going to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Surely. And I I don't know this. I can't prove this. But I'm just imagining that when God finally said, I will not destroy it for 10, he must have said, yes. Surely there's 10 righteous people in that city. Of course, there were not ten righteous people in that city. But we see the role of the intercessor. Not just praying one time. Not just praying a couple of times. Not just just feeling like we've fulfilled our obligation to pray. But continuing to pray. Coming back to God. Seeking God. Asking God. Pleading with God. Would Would you be merciful? Of course, the greatest intercessor of all is Jesus. John chapter 17 is that great prayer where Jesus pled with the Father. I pray for these. And I don't just pray, talking about us, I don't just pray for them. But I pray for those who will believe on you through their name, through their testimony, through their witness. I don't know about you, but that does something to me to know Jesus has prayed for me. That's what Jesus said to Simon Peter when he says, Satan hath desired that he may sift you as wheat. But he says, nevertheless, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I think he prays for all of us. Matter of fact, Hebrews 7 says, He ever liveth. He ever liveth. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is today seated at the right hand of the Father. And He ever liveth to make intercession for us. To know that He's praying for us. He's the great intercessor. You know, all of us who are saved, I'm talking about truly born again. It would be our desire to be more like Jesus. To love like Jesus loves. Nobody ever loved like Jesus loves. To forgive like Jesus forgives. He's the greatest of all forgivers. But I'll tell you, I don't know that we'll ever be any more like Jesus than when we're praying. Because Jesus lived a life of prayer. The role of the, of the intercessor is someone who goes in between. Someone who takes up the case or takes up the cause before God on behalf of someone else. That's Abraham. That's what he was doing. The last thing I want to talk about for a few minutes tonight is not just the relationship and the role of the intercessor, but the need For intercessors. The need for intercessors. You know, you've you've heard this. I'm sure you've thought this. You may have thought this tonight. I can't prove this, but you can't disprove it. But I wonder if the only reason God has not more severely judged America might be because of the righteous people in this country. What if in God's mind there was such a thing as a righteous quota that stayed back the judgment of God? You you mark it down. God's going to judge this country. He's going to judge the whole world 
In a, whatever you think, it doesn't matter to me. I know what God says. A judgment is coming upon this world unlike any judgment of the past. More severe than destroying the world with water. More severe than raining fire and brimstone upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that. Jesus said that. It's coming. You know, I look at this passage... I'd like to ask you to do something, and then I'm going to wrap this up. I, I, look, I see three human entities in this passage. Number one, I see the, the citizens of Sodom. These people are just lost, controlled, dominated by their carnal flesh. No limitations to their vileness, their wickedness, their immorality, no desire for spiritual things, rejecting God's standards of morality, those are the citizens of Sodom. Then second, I see Lot. A man who professed faith, the Bible called him a just man, a righteous man, but he is so closely related to the world. He has no discernment. He has no spiritual leadership. Unlike, unlike Abraham, who God knew he would lead his family in the right way, Lot did just the opposite. His compromise led to the destruction of his family. That's Lot. Letting their family be contaminated by the world. Lacking the courage to stand up for God's holy standards. Lot was not what we're supposed to be, strangers and pilgrims in the world. He was just the opposite. He was a friend of the world. So you have the citizens of Sodom. That's one group. And then you have Lot. So much like the world, you can't tell him apart. And then you have Abraham. A man of genuine faith. A man of prayer. Pleading with God for the lost people in his world. Pleading for his family. Standing in the gap. Now I ask you this question tonight. Which one of those three describes you? The citizens of Sodom who have no moral restraint. No check on their depravity. Lot, who professes to know the Lord, but loves the world as much as he loves God. And then Abraham, a sold out, separated, godly man of faith. Which of those three represent you tonight? We need more people like Abraham, we need intercessors. Paul prayed numerous, or said this numerous times. It was like a prayer request. He said, pray for me. If the apostle Paul needed intercessors, don't you think we need intercessors? Pray for me. There's a man I met several times. I don't know if he's still alive or not. The only time I met him was at conferences where I happened to be attending and I was preaching there. 
But I remember his face so well. And he'd come up to me when I'd see him and he said, Brother Smith, I want you to know I pray for you every day. We need people praying for us. We need intercessors. The church needs intercessors. I received a text this morning. I've received twice this in recent days. I've received a text on Sunday morning from a preacher I've never met saying, Brother, I want you to know I'm praying for you today. I got a text tonight. At 5.37, it says this, Spending the next few minutes in prayer for you and the service tonight, looking forward to seeing what the Lord has for us. Does that describe your prayer life? Praying for other people, interceding for other people, seeking God for other people, standing in the gap for other people? It convicts me to think about the way Abraham lived his life. We need to be intercessors. I was thinking this afternoon of this passage in Ezekiel. Where God said this, please hear these words. God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. God said, I sought for a man who would stand in the gap between me and the land that I should not destroy it. And then he says this, four words, but I found none. Think about that. God said, I was looking for someone who would stand in the gap between me and the land, and I found none. We need intercessors. We can stand in the presence of God. We can draw near to God on behalf of others. Lot could have done so much more to influence the residents of Sodom, but he failed. Abraham didn't even live in Sodom, but he had more for Sodom than Lot did living there. What can we do for people who are in spiritual danger? The people we love. The people who desperately need God. And you know, this is not a critical or judgmental statement. I think it's just a statement of fact. Many times people who need God the most don't either don't know how to seek God or generally they don't see the need to ask God for help. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for them. We've been commanded to pray for people in places of authority. Our, our governmental leaders need our prayers because they need God. What about the people where you work? The people in your neighborhood? The people where we shop? They don't even recognize the peril that they're in, but we do. What about the people? Please stay with me tonight. What about the people and other places of the world where you and I will probably never, ever be able to visit? Could we intercede for those people? Could we pray for those people? One of the places when we were in Africa that made the greatest impression on me was a, we made a visit to Lesotho and spent the night there, me and the missionary, Brother Norberg spent a night there. And for two days, we drove around that country, a little small country. Surround, it's, a, it's a country surrounded by the, the borders of South Africa. It's in South Africa, but it's an individual kingdom. To his understanding, there's not a Baptist ministry, Baptist missionary, Baptist church in the entire country. You know, most of us will never go to Lesotho. 
But we could pray for them. Would God hear your prayers and my prayers on behalf of a lost city, a lost country? Could we pray for laborers? Jesus said, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that you'll send forth laborers into the harvest. Could we pray for God to open the doors of nations and open the doors of people groups? I go back to my first point, and that has to do with the relationship that Abram had. Not only the relationship he had with God, but the relationship he had with people. As we were praying with some men this morning before Sunday school started, I thought about this, about our missions conference. We had a good missions conference. But I thought, I hope we don't just let it pass in you know, out of sight, out of mind. We don't think about it much anymore. Shame on us. What can we do? If we could do nothing else, we can pray. What about praying for those countries where we have missionaries that we support? I read this poem yesterday, I believe. Um, it applies to what we're saying. Last night I took a journey to a land across the seas. I didn't go by ship or plane. I traveled on my knees. I saw so many people there in bondage to their sin. And Jesus told me I should go, that there were souls to win. But I said, Jesus, I can't go to lands beyond the seas. He answered quickly, yes, you can. By traveling on your knees. He said, you pray. I'll meet the need. You call and I will hear. It's up to you to be concerned for lost souls far and near. And so I did. I knelt in prayer. Gave up some hours of ease. And with the Savior by my side, I traveled on my knees. As I prayed on, I saw souls saved and twisted persons healed. I saw God's workers' strength renewed while laboring in the field. I said, yes, Lord, I'll take the job. Your heart I want to please. I'll heed your call and swiftly go by traveling on my knees. That's what an intercessor does. Standing in the gap. It's not being self-righteous. It's not being judgmental. It's not being critical. It's being concerned. It's going to the one who has the power to change people's hearts, to bring circumstances into their lives, to bring about changes in their life. God won't make anybody be saved, but God can work on people's lives. And what can we do? We can pray. We can pray. Pray for God to work. There are people in this room tonight that I've prayed for today that God would get a hold of your heart and bring you to a place of turning your life over to Jesus Christ. Surrendering your life to Him. Getting serious. I can't, you, I can't, you can't, we all can't. We can't make people make the right decisions. And God won't force His will on anybody. But we can pray. 
interceding for Sodom. Abraham prayed for a wicked place that God would be merciful and spare them. You know one of the reasons why God hadn't already just wiped us all out and taken us out of here? Because he's long-suffering, Peter said, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Let's not give up praying for people. Amen? And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, people are praying for you to be saved. And if you're here tonight and you're saved, and you're not taking your spiritual life seriously, I want to promise you, people in this room are praying for you. You know why? Because we love you. Amen.